Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active license and men's package tees. thing go from left to right and I thought I'm going to die out here no one's ever going to know and I couldn't believe what my eyeballs were showing me I'll, I'll never forget how evil the eyes were it was horrible I mean I've never seen nothing that evil it ran towards me at a, at a rate that I, I I can't even explain turned and stared at me and this look of I just want to kill you I want to say it was human, but it wasn't. He was, he, was, he was yelling at me to grab a gun, grab a gun. I was like, for what? He said, just grab a gun. And there's footprints all the way to the door of my house. It had went inside my garage all the way to the door. 911, what are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better... Sir? Come on. See ya. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine. I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. You're listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. Check us out online at sasquatchchronicles.com. If you've had an encounter, email me. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Got a great show planned for you. Going to be bringing Dave on. And and Dave had some very, very interesting encounters. We'll kind of leave out too many details about his employment, uh, more or less for his own anonymity. Uh, but his encounters are fascinating. He would go out and inspect farms that had been flooded, uh, and he'd come across these creatures when I spoke to Dave last night, he talked about all the hunting trips he'd been on, tracks he'd come across, sounds he heard. Uh, even one time, I believe he was out uh, hunting, and he actually came across a group of these creatures down down this hillside. And it's interesting to hear their behavior. If you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. I'd love to talk to you about your encounter what you've seen, what you've heard, uh, just talk about your experiences. Again, it's Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. If you get a chance, check out the website, SasquatchChronicles.com. You can click on the shop there at the top, and uh, you can uh, lots of stuff in the store, lots of different items, either for yourself or for a loved one. Anyone who's into Bigfoot, cool stuff. I hope you get a chance to check it out. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, if you can, uh, leave us a review. Tell me what you think of the show. I do go through and, and read those from time to time and might start doing shout-outs from those. Uh, so if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, please subscribe. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you think about the show. Uh, let's jump into it tonight. I want to welcome uh, Dave to the show. Uh, Dave, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you being here. You bet. 
And if you would, kind of start from the beginning. I know back in the mid-80s, you had a very interesting encounter. For the audience, would you start from the beginning and talk about what you were out doing and what you ran into? Sure. I was uh, guiding hunters at the time. We had a ranch in the Rio Grande Valley of Colorado. In September, before my hunters came up in October, we had, they had a combined early season that year of deer and elk. I had gone up on uh, doing some scouting. I, I, uh, I was going to hunt my area in the Rio Grande on uh, central Rio Grande uh, County, in the San Juan Mountains. I had an allotment for there to hunt for my hunters, but I also knew there had been a lot of hunting pressure, and, was, and I talked to some friends that were, hunt, were guiding. Knew there'd be a lot there for the second seasons, which were a split deer and elk season. So I had gone over into uh, the Conejos County at the edge of the uh, Wymanooch Wilderness area. And uh, was that's extremely high, bald country. It's uh, got a lot of timber, but uh, it runs up about 9,500 feet, uh, anywhere from 9,000 to 9,500 feet for an extended period. It's kind of a rolling... uh, area it's got some thinner timber i was scouting up there uh didn't take a horse just took my jeep and was going to do some walking and and just some scouting around i knew that uh even though there's hunters that have allotments for that area guides that have allotments to take hunters in that area there weren't enough to cover the entire area and i thought i could slip in there in the latter season when i didn't have hunters and maybe uh get an elk that area uh, is known for boogers, and or we call them boogers. I'm from Oklahoma, so we call them boogers in the the, the way I grew up. Uh, actually, we I, I really didn't realize they were big uh, Bigfoot. Uh, we grew up calling them Chicken Man because of what happened in El Reno. Always thought Bigfoot was what they had in the Pacific Northwest, but uh, uh, we my grandpa had told me always about boogers, and so I kind of figured that that these things were boogers, and that's the, the name we kind of put on them. After I, we'd been talking about chicken, man, he said, no, those are boogers. So I'll tell you a little about about that in a, in a little bit. But uh, I was up on the Quinejos. Uh It's, again, a, a rolling area, about 9,000 feet where I was at, and uh, thinner timber but lodgepole pine. And saw some uh, tree breaks. Not a lot of aspen there, but they were these were smaller pines. Uh, there's no way in the world... Uh, it was any. It couldn't have been anything but a booger with those tree breaks because uh, those are those were young lodgepole pines. Uh, they were laid up against the larger lodgepole pines, and I did see two two uh, two different uh, pushovers, which is a major deal up there. Those are lodgepole pines. These were about t- trees were about ten inch diameter. A log from those trees, if you cut them, an eighteen inch log would weigh about seventy five pounds. Those are lodgepole pines at high elevation. So there's nothing. You couldn't have run those over with a small bulldozer. Saw a couple of, of uh, knockovers. And they weren't blowdowns. They were knockovers. And saw some some tree breaks and uh, was looking around. Uh, ran across a few tracks, but from a distance, after I'd walked about oh an hour and a half, two hours, uh, got to a, a, a more elevated area and sat down on some boulders, kind of a, a little alcove area, and sat down in there and then climbed up on top and was glassing with my binoculars and, and uh, saw a troop, I would say about eight individuals. 
and uh, they had some young with them, but not they weren't real young. Uh, they were walking, and probably the, the younger ones were probably five foot tall. The rest of them, I would think, were taller than that, uh, maybe double that height. A couple of them seemed to be around ten foot tall. The rest of them looked, looked to be seven to eight, and they were. Uh, two of them were in a position where they would maybe ambush something, and the others broke away. And I watched them for about a half an hour. And the others broke away like they were going to try to run up behind something and push them through a choke point, ambush point. I uh, watched that for a while. Uh, once, by the time that they had all disappeared behind the rocks, I stuck around for another 10 minutes and finally gave it up. I didn't want to lose the light. But there's definitely a population of, of Bigfoot there. They get heavy snows there, so we figure they came out of the... I had a guy with me. We figure they came out of the Waimanooch Wilderness Area which is pretty much straight up and down. That's the headwaters for the San Juan and the Rio Grande River and about a half a dozen creeks and a, and a couple other rivers. Runs all the way over almost to the Utah border. Huge, huge, massive area. It's probably the biggest wilderness area in the United States. My cousin had hunted in there, and he'd had some experience around them also. I'm curious. When when you saw these, did you know that you, what you were looking at? Did you think, oh, that's those are... Well, yeah, by that time, it, it, <clears throat> there's nothing else they could have been. You know, I ran it through my mind, uh, you know, hunters or, or one thing or another. But when, when I saw the young ones first, and then I saw uh, uh, one beside them that was three foot taller, and then I saw a couple that were a couple foot taller than her, there is, there's just nothing, there's nothing else it could have been. And I was thinking boogers. This was my first experience of actually seeing them. This was in 84. I'd seen lots of tracks and things before that and heard a lot of vocalizations that actually been run out of a couple places, but uh, from stones being thrown and, and screams and, and different things. But this is the first time I'd actually laid eyes on them. For the audience, can you describe what you saw? Can you describe what they looked like? They all look like, they all look like Patty. I saw them from a hundred yards in binoculars, and they all—they all looked like that patty type. They—they were—they were big. They were—they—they they were boxy. They—they—you uh, couldn't tell where their waist was. They were straight on up and down. And uh, the two that I saw that I think were over ten foot—they were monsters. They were—they were probably, you know, I'm, I'm from a distance. I don't want to—I'd be conservative, but I'd say they were three and a half to four foot tall, uh, wide. They were big. One of them got around the smaller one for a little bit, and I was able to to judge. And my God, they were they they uh, they had to be three three and a half four foot wide. One of them was he had to be over four foot wide at the shoulders, and they were boxy. I mean, they they, they didn't have a, a waist break. They went all the way down. They were they were what I saw on that video, of Patty. But of course, I'm looking through binoculars, so. They uh, they were a couple of them were had some brown tint to them. Most of them were black, and they were uh, they had the cone heads, huge huge arms, uh, just just massive. And uh, I was glad they were at that much distance from me because I I I wouldn't have wanted to have dealt with them. The guy that was with me saw them too. He was using a rifle scope. He 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 pretty much had a meltdown. So, uh, me, I he didn't want to go back up there. Me, I, you know, I figured it's a big area, and and 
if they've got that much to eat, well, Colorado's got the largest elk herd in the world, and there's there's uh, a lot of mule deer. So I figure I figure they were they were trying to the the mule deer later in the day will hold up right under the the edge of a hill or or bluff or whatever you got that's got the pinion. They'll a buck will get in there with a couple of does that time of year. And I, the way I figured it is they were going to try to jump some and get them to run in that direction. Uh, you know, the, they don't really bunch up till later in the year. So usually it's a buck and a couple of does that you'll run into. We used to glass for them. In, anywhere there was a, a any kind of a edge, you, you'd look on the lee side of it and you'd see bucks and does, a buck and a couple of does. And so when you saw them, your impression was is that they were hunting? I think that they were the the what I took to be females. I couldn't see breasts at that distance, but what I took to the the ones that were seemed like they were in charge of the ki- of the young ones. They were they 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 got down and they they like they were staying out of the way, and then I saw two of them that looked like they were seven or more foot tall, uh, get behind some rocks. And it, it was it was a choke point. There's no doubt about it. And then the bigger ones, uh, I saw them. Uh, at least one of the bigger ones stayed was in the choke point, and then the, uh, two or three others had gone up, and uh, they disappeared in the woods. So I'm figuring they were going to run them back through there. That's interesting. You know, it's uh, like when I did the show on the siege of Anabia. They uh, that's kind of how the brothers described it. They would kind of mm-hmm. push them down into a choke point and then uh, ambush them. It's just curious that there was little ones and females around. I mean, I would imagine they all take place in hunting. Or uh, You see a lot of primates that will show their younger ones how to hunt. Uh, chimpanzees, for example, do sure. that. They'll show their young how to hunt. And I talked about it on a past show. I think it was gorillas that were taking apart poacher traps, and they'd always have young ones nearby almost like they were showing them how to take apart the trap. So that's interesting. Did it worry you at all? I mean, God, I think I'd been a little worried. Well, we looked around behind us a bunch. I, said, <laughs> I you, bet. I told my friend, I said, you watch our back. It's the first time that I'd ever felt like we needed to watch our back from something that wasn't human. Uh, there's, uh, you know, we'd always watched our back because, you know, and I have a lot of Hispanic friends. I, a lot of my a lot of my friends are Mexican. They were when I lived in Colorado. A lot of my friends were Mexican. And Center Colorado was pretty close to where we lived, and uh, you know, there's a a lot of weed and a lot of a lot of partying and a lot of stuff that uh, the Anglo's do, which is what I am. But uh, there was a lot of a lot of action going in and out of Center, and uh, uh, those hunters you always had to watch because. They would they they'd have orange on, but just enough to spot each other. And if if they thought you were the game ranger, they they you would you'd have a hard time getting out of there. So you always kind of had to watch your back. And you know there, when there's a whole lot of people that are running around with guns in the woods, you kinda, you always need to watch your back. And uh, you know <clears throat> my dad years before had uh, been hunting with his buddy, the dep- deputy sheriff in Gunnison County, and uh, he'd been on a blue roan horse and uh you know a dark gray kind of tinted blue and dappled and uh somebody blew the saddle horn off the horse while he was on the horse or off the saddle while he was on the horse 
So a lot of guys, you just watch, you have to watch your back. You never know when somebody's going to be up there from town. You never know when somebody's going to just shoot at movement. You, it becomes a habit. You know, it's kind of like shaking out your boots. You, I've lived, I've lived in town for years now and I still shake out my shoes and boots before I put them on. It's just, uh, you develop a, a habit of knowing what's around you. It's the best way to stay safe. What did you guys Pacific Northwest? It's a little harder. It's a little more dense. You know, I've been up there. It's a little more dense. But Colorado, you you can usually see a ways, even though you're in timber. Yeah. By the way, the reason I think they had the the kid the, the I think it was a family unit, you know, a, a troop, uh, was because uh, I don't think that this was their area. I think they moved in there from the Wyoming. I think they came in there to hunt. Uh, I, I I think that it was it was a situation where. They were on, they weren't on their way to a specific destination. They were just kind of moving through. Let me tell you why I know that. Uh, by the way, I didn't get to hunt there. Uh, by Halloween that year, the Wymanooch had ten foot of snow, and the hunters had to be taken out by helicopters. They had to shoot their horses and abandon their camps, and they had to rescue. They had a big rescue operation, and they had to come in and haul them all out by helicopter. Uh, they had 10 foot of snow there and Wolf Creek Pass, which is off to the northwest, it opened on Halloween at free skiing. Now, we got hit with an Indian summer come November, but there was no getting back up in there. There's just no way. So I never did get to go up there and hunt. That was my one trip up there that uh, to go and look around. Now, I've, I've, I've hiked in the wide Manooch out of Durango, but never into, uh, you know, I was in my Jeep. We 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 had gone high. That's a there's roads that go up there, but when they get that amount of snow, even 67-degree 60, 60, weather for, you know, a week is not going to make any difference with that. They had, they had over 10, 10 foot of snow come in, in in three or four days. Did the creatures vocalize at all when you were down there? Uh, I, I heard a, a, a hoop, but... I could see they were talking to one another. I mean, they were, they, one of them was nodding back to the other one. And But, no, I, we, we were too far away. I did hear a tree knock before I left. When, when I was walking my, walking back to the Jeep, I heard a tree knock, but that was... I didn't really realize at the time that's what it was. I, but I, I heard, a, uh, like, somebody hit something with an axe. As you were watching these things through a binocular, it appeared they were communicating and talking to each other? Well, yeah, the the, the one was uh, when they first got there and kind of settled down into what they were going to do, and and the females were going to go, you know, with the, with the young ones, and they kind of got behind some boulders that were a little ways back. I saw some them, them uh, pointing with their fingers or their hands, you know, running their hands out in that direction, and uh, you know, I had a pretty good set of binoculars. I uh, I saw I didn't see lips move, no. It appeared. You know, it if, appeared that they were if I, if, communicating. If you and I had been up there, if you and I had been up there with some other guys, and we were giving them directions on what to do, it was kind of like what I'd see with people. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I think that's really interesting. And so, what did you guys do next? You just left. Uh, we got back to the jeep and went on, and then when we came back a little farther and got to the end of the road, and we decided by then it was about five thirty, maybe six. And we decided if we were going to get out of there and get back to a main road before it was plumb dark, we needed to get going. And so when we came back through that area, I didn't see, I didn't get out to look for him. Because, you know, we, my friend was spooked, and by then he'd spooked me. His, him being spooked had kind of spooked me a little bit. 
when we went through that area, I pretty much gunned it. <laughs> and uh, I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah, what was the conversation didn't. like? I'm always curious what the conversation is like afterwards. Uh, what did you and your friend talk about as you guys were leaving? We just reasoned out what those things ha- had to be and put a name on them. And I said, that's got to be what my grandpa always talked about being boogers. And and he said, you reckon that was Bigfoot? And I said, well, it could be. I think Bigfoot, that's the term they got for them out, out in the Northwest. I uh, This was in the 80s, and we hadn't really been exposed to much. I hadn't seen any of the movies or anything. That was uh, that was, that really wasn't my genre to to pursue. I, I had friends that had seen Boggy Creek. I don't even know when that came out. I think seventies or it, wasn't it? But I never did. Well, I never did see the movie. I think that's interesting. You know, I haven't had too many guests on that have seen these creatures talking back and forth and using hand gestures back and forth. I know I had the the two brothers on that had the the problem uh, with these creatures around their property. You can hear them in the intro. Uh, but they talk about that. They talk about them using hand gestures. One was kind of in charge using hand motions. You go here, you go here. Uh, and it, it was interesting. Even the, the gentleman I had on um, uh, with the LBL episode, uh, he talked about them looked like one was kind of directing traffic. Now, yeah, I watched them. I watched them for a half an hour. I mean, they were, they were you know, they were, when I first saw them, they were all together. That's what really got me, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, do much else. They pretty much took up the whole day conversation about them and what we had seen and et cetera. Yeah. This was at nine thousand foot, so I mean, this was. They had to have come from somewhere. You don't, you know. I, I had in that area. I had seen uh, earlier that day. I had seen a couple of uh, what do you call them? TP structures, but not. There's just. You know, it was they 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 were uh, quakies that were leaning up against big pines, and uh, then I saw two pines pushed over. You know, I really didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it was. I you know, uh, at the time. Now I know, but I didn't. You know, I, I I think that they had probably marked out an area. I think they were moving through. They'd marked out an area and were figuring out whether or not they were going to be able to stay there. And you know, know, that's my humble opinion. Back then, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know much. You know. Uh, I'd been hit with infrasound a couple times. Figured it was Chicken Man or something like that. You know, I I uh, I grew up fishing farm ponds in inner tubes, uh, what we call uh, tube fishing. They got a canvas wrapper around them with a, they zip on, and uh, but they've got a seat in them. And then you wear waders if it's if you uh, are comfortable. You some guys, you know, heat of the summer they'll go without without waders. But most of the time we got waders with boots built into them. I had good insulated waders. I wore those most of the time unless it was real hot. And you'd go out, you'd just kind of uh, kick kick your way across the pond and fish. And that's that's the way uh, me and most of my friends did. Uh, I learned that from my dad. And I grew, we grew up fishing farm ponds, and we we had uh, heard some weird stuff once or twice, and and had some pebbles thrown. We didn't. You know, I fortunately most of the stuff that I'd done to that time, I'd always gone with people, so we didn't we didn't pay it much attention. We could, just couldn't figure out what it was, but you know, we uh, we were pretty. Uh, there was more than one of us. We we weren't work, we were always healed too. We always took a gun or more. So you know, we'd holler back 
and uh, we always thought it was uh, illegals moving through, you know, in the area where we were at. We couldn't figure out what it was. Later on, I had an experience in a farm pond fishing at night, uh, and I, I like to do that, but I, I, I got over it after an experience I had where uh, it had to be boogers, and it had to be more than one of them, and uh, I found out then I couldn't walk on water. I was fishing on a full moon and, and out in the pond by myself. And uh, took me a while, and I uh, we had a lot of action people. They were they were uh, shaking entire uh, mesquite trees. These were big mesquites, and uh, there you see three or four mesquite trees that that are being shook from the from the the base of the tree at once. And uh, you're, I got hit with the infrasound and uh, messed my. Uh, I, I didn't want to take the. I didn't even bother to take my waders off. I I got to the edge of the pond, threw everything in the back of my blazer, and uh, hit it. And I'll tell you right now, it scared the living crap out of me. I know because it. I messed my britches in inside that thing. I I thought I was going to die, uh, you know, that I was in I was in great imminent peril. You know, I've I've had some experiences after that, but that was that was actually the first time I'd seen them. First time that I had. You know, females and the and the and the little ones, the whole deal. Like I just, I, I was kind of on. We were both kind of on overload, to tell you the truth. We, uh, it was just more when we saw them on the up up on the Kingayos, It just it shook us up. Yeah, I would imagine. And what makes you think you hit? You got hit with infrasound. So you're out for the audience movie. Back it up a little bit. So you're out fishing, and yeah, then... this was in a pond in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I I was I have a I'm a Christian and I have a background in deliverance in emotional healing deliverance and I have a background of of kicking the demonic out of people and I've we've seen people vomit and have all kinds of stuff and I had never ever ever gotten upset about that never bothered me in the least and uh, you know you just kind of the, the more they the, the more they don't want to go the more you got to make them go. But uh, this was a scenario when I started feeling this, I thought, well, this might be demonic. So I decided to come against it, and I did it real loud. And I think that set them off even stronger. And and when I when that didn't work, I knew I was dealing with something. What I did didn't work because it always works. And when when it didn't work, I thought, my God, they've come. Something's here from the river. The river was was uh, maybe it's a Canadian there. Might be the Cimarron. I guess it's the Cimarron. Cimarron River was two miles over, and from this pond, this was up in the Gloss Mountains in Oklahoma. And I'd fished that that pond probably I don't know, two three hundred times prior to that, but it had been a few years. And so I went out there on my own of an evening, uh, and I was out there about this was about two a.m. And uh, I just before any of the action started, I had a a feeling that something that I was about to have a an experience that was going to kill me. You know, I, I was in fear for my life. And so I, I took authority, and when that didn't work, then I thought, my God. And then, then the bushes, once I, once I got loud, then the bushes started going. I heard what I thought was sounded like a panther scream, you know, a, a mountain lion. But uh, that was a ways back. But when I saw, when I saw those mesquite trees going, and I thought, and I picked up some movement just right behind one that was not too far from the edge of the pond. This was like a two-acre pond. 
I was parked up on the dam, and I started trying to get myself out of there. You have to kind of kick backwards. Uh, you know, it was like I was in the worst situation you could be in. I was in an inner tube with my legs dangling down and a big, heavy pair of uh, waders with boots, and I'm kicking backwards, and it took me a minute and a half to get to, get to and this was going on the whole time. And it was just a sense of dread. My God, is a sense of dread. And for the audience, those mesquite trees aren't aren't the easiest thing in the world to shake. Uh, it's a pretty- well, you can grab the edge. You can grab a, a limb on a mesquite tree, and you're not going to shake anything but that limb. Yeah, that's what I mean. Those yeah. are those are tough trees to uh, to move. It's yeah. a very hardy hardy uh, bush. Isn't the right word. It's a hardy tree. Well, it's there if you if if you went in there and you could you could get enough ground clearance to get in there and hit them with an axe it'd take a lumberjack probably two minutes to, to cut through one there these are these were mature mesquite trees about nine foot high and uh hole in circumference they're probably or if you go straight across they're probably i guess diameter i get circumference yeah diameter uh they're probably um 15 feet across, 10, 10 to 15 feet across. When you heard that scream and then the trees start shaking, did you hear any other vocalizations? Nope. Nope. Just the trees shaking at that point. I don't think they wanted me to see them. I think that they just wanted me out of that pond. I think they'd taken over that pond and they were, they were probably, if, if you were tall enough, I think you could, you could get in there and get fish. That thing was full of bass, full of bass and turtles and everything in the sun. It's always interesting, you know, and I don't know if it's infrasound or not. I'm not completely convinced about infrasound. It might be uh, a lot of the the way people react and a lot of the way people um, afterwards. Well, I didn't know I didn't know about infrasound to even use that word till I listened to Kumbo, till I listened to the Bigfoot Outlaws. But it, it made sense to me because I just the the I had a rumbling in my chest and uh, there by the time I got to the truck, it got real bad. And uh, that's when I, I vacated my bowels right there in my waders. I It was over. And I knew right then that I needed to, you know, I, I pretty near took out a ha- two, uh, half of two mesquite trees on the way out of there with my blazer. I didn't even I didn't even bother to back up when I got off the road a little bit. I just kept on going. I scratched up my truck pretty fierce. But there is a weird thing that happens with people in those situations. I've talked to many hunters who've been out in situations, and they'll describe that, that imminent fear. they got to get out of there. They really haven't, in, in your situation. Yeah, well, I've had some close encounters up, up north with grizzly bears, and I never I never, I never, never had a problem with my bowels, and, and nor did I feel like that I was in, you know, something was in front of me that I saw, and I knew what was going on. This was, I never, for me not to see anything, and just, you know, that the infrasound hit me, if, now, I'm calling it that, that in, in retrospect. Whatever it was that hit me, if it's infrasound, whatever. But it, uh, I mean, I I had a I had a uh, I had a, a sense of fear and dread. It's you know I'm six foot two, two twenty, and healed. I mean I had guns on me, and you know that I I, I didn't. If it had gotten any worse before I got into the truck. You know, I had thought about pulling out. I had a thirty-eight on me just to shoot uh, turtles with, or snakes. I, I actually I had uh, little shot shells in there to kill snakes, you know, or at least get them to change their mind if a cotton mouse came at me. And uh, then I had the rest of it loaded with, I think, two of those, and then the rest loaded with bullets. 
and I thought about popping off a few rounds, but I, to tell you the truth, I thought if, if whatever is making me feel this gets up, I don't know that I got enough gun here. And I certainly don't want to be shooting a gun off if I'm in a pond under a full moon and they got guns. You know, it's, I felt like a sitting duck. You know, I'd like to talk about the encounter that you had when you were inspecting the farm, the two creatures you came upon. Uh, but before I get into that, you know, I'm still thinking about that first encounter when you came across the group of them. And I don't want to glaze over that too much on what you saw. You know, I'd mentioned earlier about the two brothers. They had seen the creatures kind of pointing and directing traffic. I talked about the the gentleman that was had the encounter at the LBO. He describes the same thing. And it's interesting, even the guys at the Siege of Hanabia, I remember him saying there was one that was smarter than the rest of them. And if you go back and listen to it, he, he kind of explains why he says that. But one of the things he talked about was it directing traffic, almost like it was pointing at some of them, telling them where to go, and he was the smart one in the group. I, I just think that's interesting. Uh, it just kind of came well, that's what I that's that's what I saw up on the Kinyales with my binoculars. Yeah, this was... My, my experience in the pond was six years later, but what I saw back in 84 on the Quineos, that's what I saw. We call it Quineos County. We call it the Quineos just because it's, uh, this is the back part of the county. and It doesn't really have a name, except it's it's the edge of the Waimanooch. The Waimanooch is straight up and down, and there's not very many people going there. It's My cousin was is a mountain man, and he was running a, a small ranch at the edge of it, and he went in there with the game ranger. My cousin uh, had been there three months, and he was having to tell the game. Uh, he was having to take the game ranger back in there because even the game ranger was in charge of it. Didn't know how to get back in there. It, it's the Canejos is uh, is is a big open area, high elevation open area. The the Ooch is straight up and down. It's the biggest wilderness area in Colorado. This is right next to it. This is over east, of, straight east of, of Durango. One of the encounters I found fascinating, what happened to you in the mid-90s, I believe, and for the audience, we'll just say you do land inspection for farms, so a lot of yeah, times you're uh, in the yeah, middle of yeah. nowhere uh, out at these locations. Uh, if you would, would you mind talking about what you ran into and then... Sure. <laughs> that was my face-to-face encounter. I They call it a Class A, I think. I I was out doing farm inspections after flooding uh, in that area, the 93-94 flood. And uh, seeing how much had been lost to the river and and what kind of damage there was, and uh, I had done that a lot uh, in the previous years in uh, Oklahoma and Kansas, uh, southeast Kansas and uh, parts of Texas. When they had the ninety, I had gotten out of the business, but when they had the ninety three, ninety four floods, I got a phone call and I was back in business. And uh, the water had been up there from the Missouri River for. It was anywhere from 30 to, to 60 feet, or pardon me, 30 to 60 miles wide, uh, 30 foot deep, and was up over 90 days. And so uh, the Missouri River had uh, uh, changed its uh, river, uh, had moved over in new in, into new riverbed, carved out new riverbed, and I guess they call it changing the course of the, uh, of the river, but uh, it was bad. I got there right at the end of the water receding. Uh, there were still cattle. We saw cattle co- uh, corpses in trees 30, foot, 30 feet up in the air. 
cattle stuck in trees. It, it was one of the weirder things I've ever been around. And uh, they floated up there, got stuck, couldn't get down. And you could tell from the, the markings, you know, the, the, the mark missing on the trees, they'd kick quite a bit trying to get out of that. The, uh, they even had a cemetery that washed out, and uh, they had graves in there that went back to the, uh, this is right at the edge of one of the towns, they had graves in there that had been in there since Civil War. And they they washed it out, and there were stories of people finding corpses uh, up and down the, the, the Missouri River downstream of there that uh, were still had the pillow under their heads. And uh, so there was a there was a lot of uh, strange occurrence, strange stuff. And uh, but I had been in Carroll County, and southern southern part of Carroll County, and I'd been looking at some farms, and uh, the berms had broke, parts of the farms had gone into the river, and so uh, I'd gotten my I was in a driving a tourist station wagon, a little front wheel drive at the time. I got uh, out and and went over a berm looked at the river, took some pictures, and I had come farther north. The berm was a north-south berm, and the river had flowed uh, parallel to that berm and then made a big wide bend. This is a Missouri River. It's a big river. And uh, wasn't always real wide, you know, maybe, I don't know, 50 to 100 feet in some places, or 50 to 100 yards, in some, pardon me, in some places, but uh, there were places it was a lot wider than that. But it was deep. I mean, this is a Missouri River floating out of what, Montana. It had it had taken the topsoil off a lot of farms and ruined them, etc. And so I was in there, and that half of that farm was gone. And so I had walked up pretty much as far as I could get to where the river had cut, and then I crossed back over the berm. And uh, I knew there was an east-west berm farther north, and I wanted to go up there and see how far uh, it was to the river. It looked to me like the river was pretty close to the edge of that east-west berm. And so I'd come farther north, and I came back across and uh, the bushes, and I got hit with, uh, just to, just be, right before I went over the berm, I got hit with the same kind of feeling I'd felt over in southeast, uh, southwest Colorado. And I thought, what in the world? And I so I came over the berm, and I'd already decided I was going to get to the car once I felt that, that I didn't need to go look up there. Uh, I could give that guy a write-off. You know, that farm was written off. And so uh, I came over the berm, and uh, about 30-foot high uh, berm or levee, they call it levee some places, it, it was uh, just made out of dirt. I came over that and uh, came around some bushes, and when I did... I turned uh, to the north, and I was going to see how far I could go, uh, just kind of get an eye shot of it before I made my way to the car, and uh, came face-to-face with these things. They were probably 50 yards away. I had turned, and now I'm facing them, and boom, there they are. There's uh, uh, I was about 50 yards from the edge of that berm. There was some trees that had been planted, I guess a tree row or something that had been planted there and part of it had been taken out. I don't know. Oklahoma, we call them windbreaks, uh, where you plant you plant trees along a, an area to keep it from blowing. Uh, there's a booger, and he uh, was in between two trees, had his feet planted, and he was rocking back and forth. And then I saw uh, just beyond him, uh, over the berm, another one that, was, that seemed to be on its hands and knees. That was a, that part part of that berm had been washed out pretty much. 
And the other one was on its hands and knees. And it glanced up at me and then went went back down and looking where it was at. Now I'm looking at this thing, and it's looking at me, and, uh, you know, we just kind of locked, locked gazes, and I'm thinking, what in the world, and what should I do? The Empress sounded quick, and it looked like I had taken it by surprise. I think that's what I had found, what I'd been feeling earlier before I walked over the berm. But I think it was expecting me to come out where I went in. And when I came out farther north, toward, you know, closer to it, I think it took it by surprise. It looked surprised for a little bit, and then it just kind of looked like it was interested. But it's still kind of rocking back and forth between the trees. I'm 6'2", 50 yards away. I'd say it was at least a foot and a half, maybe two foot taller than me. And it was all black. From the from its nipples up, it looked like Patty. From that part down, it was skinnier. So I've heard the guys on Bigfoot Outlaws talk about the Neanderthal type. I think that's probably what this was, but it was built. It was, I'd say it was, it was at least three foot, three and a half foot wide at the shoulders. And it was cut and it went way down. It had a real small waist and uh, huge, huge thighs. Looked like a, looked like an athlete big time. I got a friend that was a quarterback that, that was, was in pro football for a little while. And, and it looked like him, only bigger, all black, had the hair on his face. Uh, didn't see a cone, uh, had kind of a, uh, didn't see any ears, but it, it had had a lot of hair around the side of its face, uh, had hair on its face. It just kind of rocked back and forth. The other one, I know what they were doing, a uh, little sidebar. When the water receded, there were crawdads everywhere. There were crawdad holes. I, I saw some farms that were completely taken over by crawdads. You know, it was too wet to get in there with a tractor, and they were just, I probably have seen during that when I was looking at those farms two or three million, at least at least two million, crawdad holes. You know where they where the they, they call them mud bugs, uh, where I was from, and uh, they had gotten in, into that soft. You know what they came in with the river, and uh, multiplied. They just they were everywhere, where the water had been slow to recede. The one that was on its hands and knees, I kind of knew what was up. I thought well. Uh, immediately I thought crawdads, you know, mud bugs, and that they're digging for mud bugs. The uh, the one that was on its hands and knees, it's kind of hard to judge because I don't know the, what level the dirt was on the other side of that berm, but if it was like the way I think it was, that sucker was about five foot tall on its hands and knees because judging by where it came up to on the other one. It looked at me. It looked like it was going to get up, but then its attention was drawn back down. I think they'd been digging for mud bugs. And that's what they were doing. There were <clears throat> there were no no deer back in the area yet. I think they were they were down there looking, you know, eating mud bugs. It seemed my... to me like when when the when the 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 one that was on its hands and knees, it was more brown. It distinctly looked brown. Parts of it were were even a lighter brown, but it looked like it had a lot of dark, a black on it too. It was a kind of a weird color. But the uh, the one I that was standing up and you know had come to, to deal with me was black. And I, the way the the one kept looking down, and then it finally it, it it's you know I could see it was doing something. Uh, I think that it had dug it. They had a bunch of mud bugs up, and that they were starting to get away. And it's, I think its attention was more on those crawdads than it was on me. So that's kind of what I what I deduced. So, but the one that I was looking at, uh, there came a point where the where I got hit in the chest with some rumbling, 
And the way that its manner was is I needed to go. But this, this was we looked at each other probably 20 seconds, and then when that 20 seconds was up, I got the hit with the rumbling in my chest, and I knew that I needed to go. I needed to go right then. And I spun on my on the ball of my foot and went straight for the car. And I looked back a, a bit, but I didn't. He didn't. He didn't follow me. Evidently, I got through the bushes and back to my car, and and uh, kind of went along the, the edge of that berm, and then and then made my way to the car, and I got the heck out of Dodge. You know, fifty yards is about one hundred and fifty feet. And I'm curious when you're looking at this thing and you're looking into the face of this thing. Did it look more human-like? Did it look more? Um, um, it had it had, it had a, a face like, uh, pretty much like Patty. Might have been a little narrower, but didn't have the coned head. Didn't have that head. You know, I'm looking directly at it. I never saw a side view of it. Uh, I saw a side view of the other one. It had a rounded head also. Did the creature's expression change at all? Yeah, it looked like it was real surprised that it that I popped up where I did. And that's that's why I think I was able to look at it for so long because I wasn't going to go any closer. I can tell you that much. But uh, it didn't come any closer to me either. It just kept kind of swaying back and forth. It had its tree, feet planted on the base of those trees. The tree it was two separate trees, but they were they were kind of pointed. Uh, they they weren't pointed straight up. They kind of went off to a side. They they were I would say they were young cottonwoods or something. I don't know some some kind of of tree that uh, I'd say that in diameter, those trees were probably eight inches across. And he was kind of braced himself between them and then had his arms spread wide and was holding on to them and kind of going back and forth sideways, rocking back and forth. I kind of got the impression, because he was too far for me to see, but I kind of got the impression at the end, closer close to when I, I boogied, that he, had, that he was showing me his teeth. But I couldn't see for sure, but I, I kind of got the impression he kind of made a weird face, you know, and I thought, oh boy, it's time to go. That's when I was hit, getting hit, and the, the rumbling in my chest, and the, the fear and dread and terror that I was about to get clobbered. Yeah, and that's what I was curious about if the expression actually changed. A lot of times with witnesses, when they come face to face with these things, they'll describe them as being stone faced or looking surprised. And that's why I was curious if, if the expression on the creature's face had actually changed. Uh, well, he watched me for a while, like I was, like he was interested in me. The, the surprise lasted about five seconds, and then he kind of just, you know, our, our gaze locked, and he just kind of looked at, and looked me over, you know, like he hadn't hadn't seen people before. Kind of looked me over. I looked him over. I was kind of locked there for, like I say, you know, this went on for twenty seconds probably. That's a, twenty seconds is a long time when you're looking something in the eye. It's, oh yeah, it's a lifetime. Yeah. Did you ever decide to keep doing this, or did it ever cross your mind I'm done? I'm done with this type of work. No, yeah. no, I kept. You know, I, I was I was inspecting probably fifteen to twenty farms a day at that time, and uh, I was getting paid, you know, three hundred bucks a farm to do it. So no, I wasn't going to quit. Uh, but I was a lot more careful when I got around the river. I bet you know it's interesting when you run into these things. It really. I was. I I, I started packing a pistol after that day. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. If you decided, I, to go I had a gun at I had a gun at the motel, and I got and I got it out and put it on. Yeah, uh, it was a forty. You know, my I, back then I carried a series seventy uh, uh, 911, 45 ACV, and uh, I always liked it because it was flat and I could stick it in my above my you know my belt and back and not uh, when I was I didn't carry it in town that way, but when I was out when I was out I uh, 
you don't want people that necessarily that these farmers or people I was interacting with to see a gun, but you know, back then, and I'm statute of limitations is over, so I can go ahead and say, yeah, I I carried it concealed, and I didn't. That was before the days of concealed carry permits. I I was I was packing after that. You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about is the tracks, and I know you've been out in the backcountry either hunting or. Uh, doing the type of work that you do, you're always out in the middle of nowhere. And I wanted to talk to you about the tracks you've come across. Uh, would you mind talking about some of the tracks that you've actually come across? Not necessarily running into Bigfoot, but actually seeing the physical evidence of them. I've seen lots of, we call it sign. I'm a hunter, we call it sign. I've seen poop, I've seen tracks, I've seen uh, uh, seen uh, booger tracks. Lot, pro- I've probably seen... I don't know, three or 4,000 sets of booger tracks over the years uh, after, after the 84 deal because I started doing the farm. Uh, they had, they had uh, in 86, they had 87, they had floods in Oklahoma. And uh, all along the Washita River, uh, we I inspected farms all along the Washita and uh, the Arkansas, Tulsa, and uh, a couple of tributaries that went into there and... Uh, did a lot of work east of Tishomingo and uh, then along the Red River from pretty much from Brown Springs over to, uh, I'd say within 50 miles of Brown Springs going east along uh, the Oklahoma side of the Red River and lots of tracks, uh, big ones, little uh, medium-sized ones and little ones. So families, they come down to water, fish, whatever. Going back to, going back to uh, Missouri, for a second, I just remembered the tracks I saw there. I saw uh, a couple times. I saw well, I saw one one big mess where uh, uh, something had, heavy had gone off into the mud toward these mud bug tracks, and seems to have shrunk, probably sunk in. I'd, I'd have sunk into my waist if I'd have stepped off in that mud. I think it kind of took whatever it was by surprise. I kind of figured it was a booger because the, it was just a bloody mess and the. the you know, uh, something had stepped off into into that mud, and probably gone in real deep, and then had to kind of fish its swim its way out of that mud. And it was a, uh, it was a, there was a whole bunch of sign there, and, and I saw bugger tracks around that too. So uh, you could see where it swept its hands. I saw several handprints in the mud, and uh, saw some where it had tracked mud out of there, and saw tracks. But going back to Oklahoma, I uh, saw uh, tracks there, and then I saw a lot. I saw a few more sets of tracks in Missouri. What I saw in Oklahoma, uh, the, you know, I, I had a, some pretty close encounters in uh, Tishomingo, east of Tishomingo. I heard some. Uh, I got hit with some roars and some. Uh, Screams that turned into roars, sound like a woman, and all of a sudden it went into a deep roar, all in one one go. Heard uh, owls that weren't owls. I'd be out. I was over east of Paul's Valley, appraising, uh, uh, inspecting a farm, appraising damage, and and uh, heard yipping, 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 a lot of coyotes, and then heard some others that weren't coyotes, and then as Kumbo says, heard the yip, and it was over, and it would just stop. Then he'd come up again a little later, like it was. They were calling him back, but saw a lot of tracks. Seen a lot of tracks. Um, the ones also what upset me was the you know, and, and I, I would be on the lookout for whatever was causing these tracks. 
<coughs> I, these farms, I was in and out, in and out. And I only went where they were really buggered up, where they were really messed up. And uh, bugger's a word that we use for a whole lot of things. I, I grew up a horseman. We 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 use the word buggered up or buggered uh, for a lot more than just describing Bigfoot. I got land that was messed up, and uh, I would I would just I'd get an eyeball on it, see what you know. I'd have a formula for the dirt, uh, you know, with the top with with the topsoil, how bad it was. You know, you take a. I had a formula that I used. I won't go into that, but I had a formula. I almost did, but you don't need to hear that. The uh, saw saw uh, what I uh, would call a dog print, probably nine inches across. Saw some dog prints. That was the biggest one. I've I've seen some dog prints that, that were too big to be a dog. Saw uh, a place one time on the Red River. Uh, across from uh, there's a town called is it, White, is it White White Horse something like that in Texas I saw uh, tracks there that looked like the front part of it looked like bugger tracks but they had claws and then uh, it, it, it you can see the the pad of the ball of the foot and then you go back and it's uh, there was a V and like something and then I I saw uh, there was uh, Looked like somebody rested a basketball behind it, so I figured something something was sitting down. Uh, I've since kind of figured that those were some kind of weird. It, it had it had human toes, but there were claws on the end. You could see where the claws had dug in, and I'm thinking that was some uh, some kind of weird variation. You know, later I've kind of learned that that those were probably dogman prints. Saw those there. Saw those over in uh, by McAllister. Saw those over in uh, on a creek, and saw those uh, in Rogers County up north of, uh, or whatever that county is, just north of Tulsa. Uh, saw them there. I've also seen those around the edge of Ulaga. And I had heard Kumbo say that he had been over there at a town called Foil. I've 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 inspected farms over there at one time, and I, I've seen weird prints over there too. But I've seen lots of bugger prints up and down the the Red River. And uh, up and down that flooded the river that had been flooded there, and also over at Holdenville, which is just north of uh, there. It's interesting when you see those tracks. A lot of people right off the bat will say, "Well, that was a bear," but uh, you've been a hunter. Well, there's no, there, there's no. Here's the here's the deal. This were this was all farm ground in Oklahoma, and there's no bears in Oklahoma. There's just flat out no bears in Oklahoma, unless you get to the Kaimichi. And then I, I would say that, that there's probably less than 10 bears in the Kaimichi. Uh, you know, I've been over there. There's just no bears. I haven't seen any bear sign. It, bear, bear sign's easy because uh, it looks like a donut most of the time. Uh, that's where they, they used to call it. Cowboys used to call donuts bear sign because it looks like bear poop. They they, they put out one looks like dog poop, only it, it comes solid and it Usually, well, the way it comes out, it'll it'll curl around and look just like a uh, a donut. Uh, you get a bigger bear, it'll you know sometimes it'll come out more in mass, but most of the time, when you're talking about a bear that's that's probably less than 200 pounds, it's going to look like a donut. That's why the cowboys called the old cowboys they they called donuts bear sign. Dave, I know we're wrapping it up here and we're closing it out for the night. I wanted to ask you, though, when you were up close, you got a good look at these things on two different occasions. You got a really good look at them. What is your impression of these things? What do you think that these things are? Huh. Well, 
you know, I, 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 I'm a part-time minister. I do a deliverance ministry, emotional healing, that kind of stuff's my focus. Um, I've worked uh, in and out uh, of deliverance ministry, a lot of places. And I kind of look to the Bible and, uh, I know there's a lot of folks that don't, and they come up with all kinds of things. But to me, uh, and there's folks that say these are flesh and blood and there's not anything paranormal about them at all. They're just really good hiders. Uh, I believe these things are part fallen angel in some way, shape or form. Does that mean Nephilim? Does that mean one thing or another? I don't know, but I, I believe, I believe that, that somewhere way back when, I mean, there's sheep squatch, there's, there's Sasquatch, there's dog man, there's, you know, some guy saw, listen, some, two different people have seen him that were 16 foot tall dog men with eyes on the side of their head instead of the front. You've got, you know, all these different dog men that look one way or another. You've got these Bigfoot. I think these things are part fallen angel in their DNA. How far back that was, I don't know. But I think this thing, these things go back to, you know, it's not just the book of Enoch. But it's the book of Jasher, the book of Jubilees, and, and it talks about this stuff. I think the reason that Moses didn't uh, go into it very deeply was that he made reference to, is this not in the book of Jubilees? Is this not in the book of of, uh, of uh, Jasher? And so he made reference to these other books several times in Genesis. And uh, I think that he, there were other contemporary writings, uh, contemporaneous writings that, that the folks were exposed to back then, and and he just, you know, and you, you almost can hold their verses up to his. I think he made his stuff match up with the, with theirs. And I've read that, that uh, in, in those other books that, uh, you know, that before the flood, uh, in Noah's time, Noah's time wasn't really the giants. That was his grandpa, his great-grandpa Jasher, Enoch's dad. And uh, with, Mo, with the time of Noah, it was, uh, when I say Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. But in the, and he referred to the times of Noah. <clears throat> in Noah's day, it was cryptids. And you read in the book of Jasher that they had uh, corrupted the seed of of all animals, all reptiles, all fishes, and all and 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 uh, all uh, uh, birds. And uh, you know, there's a whole school of thought that got you know that if you look the book of Job, he talks about Leviathan, and he describes it as having a tree like a cedar tree. Well, they've they've called it a hippopotamus. Uh, the the, interp- uh, the people that put it in English, but I've never saw a hippopotamus with a tail like a cedar tree. He's talking about the old Sinclair dinosaur, the big old, you know, the great big long ones with the long neck that were vegetarians. So, why would God have created if He created those? Why would why would He? And he by the way, that was post flood in the Book of Job that He refers to them, and that like Job knows what they were. So there's a whole there's a whole set of weirdness about all this stuff, but I can, I know this much that, uh, uh there's a school of thought that, that even the Tyrannosaurus Rex, the Raptors and all that were all of this cryptid stuff from Noah's day, you know, and Jesus said before the end times, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man. So we've been promised we're going to have cryptids. And I can tell you right now, there's been a population boom of all these things. Because when I was a kid, we ran all over the country, and uh, I, you know, you didn't, you just didn't hear very many stories about this stuff. And now you hear stories just all the time. Um, I personally believe that uh, you know the that the the 
fallen angels or aliens, and I think that they showed back up. The, or the, the aliens are fallen angels, and I think that they showed back up post-flood, started working their whatever it is they did uh, to cause this. I think these things are part, and, and if I'm right, and they are part, you know, the, you, the giant of Kandahar, et cetera, uh, I know I know L.A. Marzulli and his work, and, and know him, and, and know know a lot of these guys. And, and uh, I'm of the opinion that there's been there's been interference in in the gene pool since the flood. Uh, that these things weren't. There's no way in the world Noah took these on the boat, and there's no way in the world these things could have have stood up to water that deep. So this is post flood, and and I think that these things have. A genetic disposition that that uh, enables them to do they cloak? I don't know. I don't, uh, would you call it that? Well, not the way some people do, but I've seen videos of a guy that walked past a bush. I saw the bush. He went back there, and and then all of a sudden the booger crosses his trail behind him. He's got a camera on behind him, and it's a booger. And he goes back there, uh, and there's no bush. There's no bush. There's not even anything around the bush. And, but yet I saw the bush as he walked by it on video. Now, then he, he goes back and he shows the same, exact same spot in the wintertime. This was in Tennessee, and there's no roots of any bush. There's no, there never was a bush. So it, if these things have some kind of a gene pool, the way I'm talking and the way that a lot of people believe, who knows what that means? You know, are they physical beings and, you know, are they stuck in our dimension? Yeah. Do they have the ability to cloak and all that kind of stuff? Well, I, I'm kind of in the agreement with 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 the people I've listened to, Kumbo and those guys. I know these what I was seeing was flesh and blood, but they might have some abilities from coming from their gene pool that that uh, make them different than a you know the the regular animals or the regular or people. I think that there's I think that they've got they've got some abilities from somewhere, and that's where I think they're from, and I, that's what I think they are. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's what and I, I, I always laughed. I used to watch the Alaska monsters or something like that. And those guys were Bigfoot hunters in Alaska. And I thought, yeah, well, this thing might, might or might not be staged and, you know, it's all television, et cetera. But then they, they showed those, uh, where they can't, there was a, uh, logging operation that was being harassed and, and they put up a drone with a camera on it. And it's got giant teepees made out of uh, stacked, you know, uh, torn down wood, you know, logs. And there's they, they get in there, they go there on foot, and those logs, uh, I can tell you right now, uh, most of those logs that you saw there, they weighed over 200 pounds. And there wasn't a chain mark on them. There's not a drag mark on them. It was, those were pushed over, and a lot of them, the roots... Were the the trees were put in there upside down, and they don't look that big because you think, well, that's just Johnson grass or something like that. But then you see those guys get in it, and that 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 grass that you see around around those, you know, it's all uh, yellowed, uh, uh, like it's gone through a winter, and uh, it's up to those guys' knees, and those guys are six foot tall, and they don't even get halfway up the first log. These guys things have got to be forty foot tall. There was two of them. I mean, I've got pictures. I, I say I photos. You know, I, I what, do you, what do you call it? Screen saved it, and uh, I've looked at those things. And to have that kind of strength 
to throw to throw logs that definitely have to weigh a thousand pounds or more, and to throw those thirty and forty feet up in the air to build that thing, you know that's a feat of, that's a feat of strength that I you know would leave Andre the Giant scratching his head. There's got to be a, there, there's got to be something to these things, for these things to be Gigantopithecus, then Gigantopithecus had to be, you know there's there's so there's something superhuman about these things. Uh, do I believe in portals and all that stuff? Well, when you start getting into fallen angel stuff and you start looking at that these, that these UFOs, they've seen them that make a 45 degree turn from dead stop. They, they'll, they'll go to, they'll, they'll go to 45,000 miles an hour and make a, a 90 degree turn. Uh, you know, it, it just boggles the mind. Nothing we know as matter can do that. If those things are these things, daddies, whoo. Who knows what all they could do, you know? Again, you know, I, I, they're flesh and blood. I believe they're flesh and blood. I believe that those things came over from the Wymanooch, you know? Uh, I believe that those things in Missouri were from Missouri and had gone out because of the flood and had come back looking for something to eat because it was their stomping ground along the Missouri River. Did they disappear into, a number, uh, into another portal and have something to eat there? Well, they wouldn't have been wandering, wallowing around in the mud trying to dig crawdads if they weren't hungry. By the way, Oklahoma has more deer now than they ever had in ancient history, than they ever had in the 16 or 1700s. This place, we got zero predators per near, and we've got deer out, out our ears. Uh, I talked to two, I, I did uh, inspections for a couple different guys that own body shops in uh, southern Oklahoma. Uh, well, for one guy for sure. Uh, then I talked to another guy that his brother did or something. But the guy that I talked to, uh, I had hit a deer. And so I was talking to him, and he said, uh, yeah, we get five cars a week. As, and uh, and I said, really? And he, I said, how many other body shops are there in town? He said, five of them. I said, how many do they get? He said, five a week. He said, there's about 25 deer collisions a week around in this county. That, the deer are so thick that people are, are getting killed hitting them with their cars. They're, they're thick as rats. And uh, I, I believe the reason we've seen a population explosion here is because we got more deer than we know what to do with. And you might be onto something. It's sure interesting. There sure is a weird cover-up with, with these things. And the other part that's interesting about these things, every time I've talked to someone like a military insider, they sure like to throw around the word abomination a lot yeah. when they're talking well, about you these know, things. They they found a giant they they found a giant in one of the burial mounds over here at Spiro, Oklahoma, less than two years ago, and he was over nine foot tall. And I know some of the guys that uh, were a part of that. I used to go to college with one of them. And again, the, the what do you want to call it, the Smithsonian or the Men in Black or whatever you want to call it? They came and it disappeared with that thing. But they had photos. My, this guy I knew they had photos and the whole thing, the whole, every bit of it, and. Uh, that they that thing was nine foot tall. Now you you figure uh, all of the uh, uh, you know the the I, I'm a I'm a I'm a uh, history major, and uh, turns out I should have took more math and business because what I do. But I was a history major in college, and I've I know a lot about Native Americans, and uh, I'm. Part Choctaw, part Cherokee. Lived on, lived, uh, used to sell houseboats. I put houseboats on Lake Powell. I've dealt with the Navajos, and I have a lot of friends that I've got friends that are Blackfeet and Sioux and all kinds of stuff. And 
the, the, the history that the guys tell you, oh, we've been here for thousands of years. No, they have not. Uh, there was there were very few Native Americans in the United States until the year 1500 because there were giants in the land. And uh, did, did they come over? Did the Native Americans come over the land bridge? Yes, but they had us all looking for. Uh, at one time, when I lived in Colorado, this was in the back in the mid 80s. They had us looking for. I can't think of what they call it. It's a it's a spearhead, and. Uh, Clovis, Clovis points. They had us looking for Clovis points, spearheads, and they pay uh, thirty grand for one. And you think we weren't all looking for when we were out and about looking around in the dirt and and, and edges of of uh, washout, you know, uh, edges of uh, riverbanks and that kind of stuff for for points for thirty thousand dollars for one. We were looking all over the place, and I've since found out they've never found a single Clovis point east of. Uh, the Arkansas River, or pardon me, west of the Arkansas River. They've never found one. They found a few further north because the Arkansas comes from from out of uh, south central Colorado. But they've never found one uh, west in the entire western United States. And they never found one in Alaska. They've never found one in Canada. Now, if these things came over the land bridge, where's the Clovis points? Because they're thick all over the place in the Ohio, up on the Appalachian Plateau. And uh, a Clovis point's nine nine inches long to twelve inches long, and they put them on the end of the spear and hunted buffalo, but mostly mastodon with these things. And these were big, uh, uh, big animal killing spears that would have gone eight to nine foot long. Then you look at at this entire population of of uh, burial mound uh, people they found, and they're all eight and nine to twelve foot tall. Uh, six fingers, six toes, and red hair. Uh, if these things had come over the land bridge, then how come there's no, none of their spear points? But yet they're 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 thick all over the the upper Appalachian plateau and into the Great Lakes. And then we find out that even uh, they found signs of the Minoa. I found this real interesting. Signs of the Minoans. Uh, they didn't know what they were when they saw them, and, and it's just re- they've just recently figured out who the Minoans were, and that the Minoans were making trips into the Great Lakes, into Michigan for copper, and that we that the copper from Michigan fueled the entire Bronze Age. They've always said, well, because there's no bronze in Europe. Well, where did the Bronze Age? Where did they get the copper for the Bronze Age? And they always said Africa. There's no big mines there, but the geologists, when they first opened the copper mines that ran out of the 1800s, their statements were. Somebody's already taken a hundred thousand, or was it ten million tons, or a hundred million tons? Is either ten? I think it's at least ten million tons of copper out of here already, and they were just opening those mines. So now it looks like the Minoans came down the Great Lakes, and they have found Minoan, what do you call it, carvings on stones and different things, kind of like roadmaps to the other Minoans. And they've just discovered who these people were and figured out the Minoans in the last decade really in the last five or six years. And uh, it was always the mystery in Michigan who quarried all this copper before the white guys ever started quarrying copper. The Indians, the Native Americans weren't. And so going back to my story, the the whole reason they hold up five fingers with the the outer finger stretched is so they'd know at a distance if you had six fingers and they'd know to run. The Apaches were the first ones to come down. I live in an area that, that was at one time called Comancheria. 
and even the the the, the, the lonesome dove and the Texas Rangers that that uh, that stuff uh, is kind of about the Comancheria. You didn't go in the Comancheria. They they uh, there's a river down in Texas, and you didn't go north of that. And the Comanches ran that, but before it was Comancheria, it was Apacheria. And uh, it was controlled by the Apaches for 100 years till the 1600s. They came in about 1500. There wasn't really any Native Americans through the central United States from the Great Plains and even parts of the Rockies going east. There weren't any. And anybody that says they, that their tribe's been here for 10,000 years, they're nuts. They weren't here. They were in Canada. And they all came down a little bit at a time. The Apaches ended up in Arizona, and I used to hear Apaches in Arizona say, we've been here 10,000 years. No, you know, you used to be in Oklahoma. It was Apacheria. Then the Comanches came down with the Kiowas to help them, and uh, they turned it into Comancheria. And it was Comancheria until mid-1800s, mid-late 1800s. It was Comancheria, and the Apaches were moved out into Arizona. They pushed them out into Arizona. So it's interesting about the, the Clovis Point deal and the Giants – there were definitely giants in the lands in in in, uh, in the United States. Uh, what we know as the United States from a long time ago, till uh, the eighteen hundred or till fifteen hundred, and then I've spent a lot of time in Arizona and I've talked to people that knew about the reason that, that they've closed off part of the Grand Canyon, that there were Egyptians in there, and that they that's why they named part of the Grand Canyon about that. I'm an Arizona guy, man. I've been. I spent uh, nine years in, in, in Arizona. I spent uh, off and on 20, 25 years in Colorado, off and on, and then some of it part, full-time, part of part-time, because my family's from there. And I've, you know, I've Durango and Mesa Verde, and, and that's my old stomping ground there and over in, in Arizona, Tuba City, and and over into, uh, you know, Mexican Hat. And like I said, we sold houseboats on Lake Powell. But that's my old stomping ground. There weren't... Uh, they 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 talk about the Anasazi and they don't know who those people were. And then you you hear about the Aztecs. The Aztecs originally came out of the United States and were run out by somebody. Were run out by the giants. So if the if the fallen angels are the aliens and there were giants in the land, then it kind of goes to show you that. Maybe uh, we did have some apes cross the land bridge, or maybe these things were over in Asia too, and that this what what's called a a uh, ancient people. Uh, you know, I, I believe in in uh, I, I have great respect for the man that works with uh, David Polites. I can't think of his name, but he's a he's a forensic artist. And he worked for the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation for years, and he, he also did work for all the federal government, different alphabet soup. And uh, uh, I got great respect for that guy, and he can take the hair off of them, and they look like a native people, an ancient people. The only problem is the ancient people at most are six foot tall, and these things are nine foot tall. So, you know, do they have a, do, do they have a five finger, you know, a, Five or six fingers, and 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 you know, uh, a, a, trait, a, a, a roots going back to the five or, to the six fingered guys with red hair. Seemed like that's that would make a lot more sense than anything else anybody can come up with. So I'm off my soapbox now, but that's my because I've thought a lot about this. I'm a thinker. I kind of want to know why and what in the world are these things? Where did they come from? And I go I go to the Bible, and once I started looking at the book of uh, Jasher. 
and seeing it lined up with uh, the the verses about the uh, the giants in the land and that pre-stud play pre pre flood stage and some of this stuff, it just seems to me like that makes a lot more sense than, than some of the stuff I've heard from other people. Yeah, you might not be too far off. It's interesting to look at, especially I think a lot of our past history isn't really what we've been taught. You look at that wall that that, archae- that that forensic archaeologist that had the TV show, I can't think of his name. He's definitely not a Christian. But uh, that wall out in San Francisco, they haven't been able to figure out who carved that st- uh, made, stacked those, those rocks and made that stone wall like a fortification wall. And then he traced it to China. And then come to find out, China, they've recreated one of those ships. The sucker is uh, 100 foot long, or yeah, close to 100 yards long. And 50 yards wide, and they had a fleet of them, and they had several thousand men on those ships. They got one of them they recreated sitting in a harbor over in China right now. And it turns out the Chinese were over here and basically had settlements and the whole deal way back when. You know, this whole narrative about Columbus discovered America, I think, is just nonsense. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hold any water. The turns out the, the forensic archaeologists, they got with those guys. Like, tell me if I'm carrying on too long, but they got the forensic archaeologists to look at the runestone, and instead of judging, you know, uh, historically, they, they just simply took a, a uh, that Minnesota runestone, they took a uh, sample of it, and then they measured it against samples. That thing said it was carved in the 1362 or 67 or something like that. And so they went to gravestones over in Europe, made out of the same material, and the weathering was the same, and and everybody says that, that, oh, that thing was disqualified. Well, the CSI guys requalified it, and which means that the the Templars and the Vikings were uh, here in in uh, with what is the center of North America, if you count Canada and Mexico, the center of North America is central Minnesota. And they were here in, in the 1300s. And if they were already here, that ought to tell us something. Yeah, it's interesting stuff, especially when you start really researching into who was here. I, I tend to agree with you about the Columbus saying. But, uh, you know, I, Dave, we're almost out of time. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for... Uh, sharing your encounters, and I always enjoy hearing what people think, you know, their impression of, of what these creatures are, and, you know, just taking the time to come on. So thank you so much. You're, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your show, Wes. Thank I you. I think I've listened to I, I've gone back and, and listened to every episode. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you again. Appreciate it. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email. My email address is Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. A very interesting encounter. I always love hearing what people, their theories and their impression. And it's like I always say, until someone has one in their garage that they're studying, no one truly knows what these things are. Uh, But it's fun to uh, speculate about it. Uh, If you get a chance to check out the website, SasquatchChronicles.com. And until next time, everyone, have a great night.
Let's be a little 